0: This is The Blunt Doctor Show, on a Tuesday, bleeding into a Wednesday by the time we finish. Another day full of uh, NBA action as the Christmas season has now ended, we move towards New Year's, and hopefully getting rid of the nightmare that was 2020. All of us hoping that 2021 is going to be a lot better. We'll see. Bad news. Exiting 2020. I just want to start with this. Um, the officers who shot Tamir Rice were not charged by the federal government. So yet again. Situation where. Justice is not served. And a young boy who was murdered. For no reason. By. By an inexperienced man well no that's not true it's not a man who would shoot a child but they walk for their crime and it's really disappointing and it's sad and this message is you know there are some white people in this world who don't understand and this is for you when you get mad about the phrase black lives matter you're missing the point the phrase is not only Black Lives Matter. But when a boy holding a toy gun gets shot within four seconds of a police officer showing up to find out what happened. How can anyone say that when that officer isn't charged and then when then there are hundreds more incidents just like that How can anyone say that to this country, to this system, to these white police officers, how can you say that black lives matter? Because to them, they clearly don't. And that's the point. Black lives do matter, but the system treats black people as if they don't matter. And that's what white people, so many white people, do not understand because they simply haven't experienced it. And I've known many white people who, were not racist in their actions, but who would sit there and say, oh, white privilege doesn't exist. And then would drift further into thinking racist things because white privilege didn't exist, and over time would become more racist because they simply refused to look at reality. And it is happening so often. And... The fact that after all the protests and everything that occurred this summer, that there's still no justice and that it's still, you know, police budgets are still being, the funding is increased and it's still hard to fire an officer who murders an innocent person. And it's still difficult to get body cams. And for some reason, we just can't charge officers with a crime. It just... I'm lost for words because I'm not the only person to say this. I'm not the first person to say it. I won't be the last person to say it. But it needs to be said over and over until someone pays attention. Joe Biden winning does not suddenly erase all the problems in this country. It is a good thing that Donald Trump is going away. But it does not solve all of the problems. And a lot of people seem to think that it does. But... When something like this occurs, when a child is murdered by police and when they face no consequences, and when the system backs up the choice to make them face no consequences, and when the secondary federal system then backs up the choice again to make those people face no consequences, what does the president have to do with that? Not sure Can they step in, whatever? But they're not going to do that thousands of times. And this case is just one of so many. And we simply have to have more social justice in this country. For people of all races. For people of all genders. For everybody. It's just so simple. Equality literally means for everyone. I don't understand why that's difficult for some people. I don't understand why some people to con- will continue to deny forever the truths about this world and this country. But just because a presidential election went well for us does not mean that you can stop. And for everyone who protested and then now says, oh, it's, you know, it's solved, there's so much more to do. And. Dr. Kendi has said that one of the most important things is not to just say I'm not racist, but to be anti-racist, to take actions every day to make the world a better place through whatever means are available to you, time, financial resources, energy, you know, whatever it may be. And those are just actions that we all have to take and that we're going to have to continue to take. I just see so many people who seem to think that the work is done. And I see so many liberal white people saying things like, well, we've solved it. What are we going to talk about now? What are we going to care about? There's so much more to care about now. And Tamir Rice is a symbol of that how is there no justice for a child and there may be some people who have we're going to listen to this but turn this off or are annoyed right now that I'm talking about this but if this doesn't bother you like what do sports matter if we don't have the energy to fight for things that are more important than sports like children being murdered by patrol officers for no reason. What do we care about anything for? And so many people were so angry. So many white people were so angry about the social justice messaging in the bubble. And those people are wrong. NBA players are regularly victimized by people who don't know who they are simply because they're black. Security guards, police officers, it happens all the time. Many Milwaukee Bucks players went through the same problem. I think Sterling Brown and John Henson both went through it recently. And... It's just... We all like grew up, where many of us grew up, being told America is the best country in the world. America is so wonderful. We were made to pledge allegiance, do all these things, and at a certain point, you just realize that's not true, and that we're living in a place that is just backwards and violent. And I just would hope that when you see something like this, when you see a Tamir Rice situation, whether it's the day it happens or whether it's, you know, like now when the officers aren't charged, just fight, speak out, call someone, do something. There are are actions we can take. Sometimes we'll be successful and sometimes we won't. We have more to do right now than just sit by and watch what happens. And specifically, white people who believe that there is no white privilege or things like that really just need to look at everything going on and just take a hard look at yourself in the mirror. Because if you honestly believe that, I don't know, it just makes me sad. And I have family members that feel that way and I don't speak to them anymore. If you can't be a real enough person to actually look at the problems in this world and stop just the bullshit and just actually look at what's going on, then I don't really know what to say to you. And I just hope more people will grow up and fight white supremacy in this country because it is the evil that powers capitalism. It is the evil that powers colonial thought. And I'm not saying we're going to overthrow capitalism and live in a communist utopia. I'm not talking about that. But income inequality is so horrendous at this point that people can't even live. And that comes from The prosperity gospel ideas of capitalism that extol being a rich person and make all poor people look stupid for being poor or feel stupid for being poor. The system is broken and we need to fix it. And all of those things flow from the white supremacist roots of this country that have now created such a wealth imbalance that people can't even live. And if you think this fight is over, it's not. Take a small action every day. Basketball. It is hard to move from such a serious discussion to basketball, but that's what we do here on the Blunt Doctor Show. We cover a lot of topics. It has been known that I'm going to speak on socialist issues. And this is not a socialist issue, but this is just an intersectional, real-life issue. That's life. But moving on. Basketball. It happened today. I watched it. I enjoyed the Suns game. Sometimes in life, you've got to check out from the difficult things going on, and you've got to watch some sports. And that is the beauty in sports to me. And that is why I love sports so much. Because when things are difficult... When you've made a mistake as a person, when you're having a difficult time dealing with the world, sports are a great place to go. And that's where I went today. And I watched a few different games and there's a lot going on. Some quick notes, John Morant out three to five weeks, grade two ankle sprain, We were concerned it would be a lot worse. So the fact that this is just a week's injury and not something like severe, great news. Injuries are always bad news, but we're always happy then when they're, you know, much better than they could have been. So good for Memphis, but they really shouldn't rush him back. JJJ is injured. Clark is injured. Winslow's injured. I mean, without Ja, JJJ and Winslow, I mean, for an extended period of time, you're basically gonna lose your season. Now, for one hand, from a silver lining standpoint, the Anthony Melton is gonna get a whole lot of run. <laughs> and assuming he's able to, you know, keep himself straight and the health protocols and all that stuff, um, you know, that extension. I mean, hey, if he gets a lot of minutes over this season because of this situation and that potentially helps him in a playoff scenario, then, hey, um, you know, DeAnthia Melton was a guy that a lot of Suns fans liked. They got rid of him in the Josh Jackson trade, and Memphis has extended him. You know, he's going to be their third guard um, of the future, and pretty much for him, this is going to be, you know, playing as a starter for several weeks now, Um, again, assuming that everything goes well with him as well. But for Memphis, a lot of people thought this was going to be you know people expected a lot from them. I didn't expect as much. I thought that um you know they may regress a little bit this year, and unfortunately, injuries just they make all that worse. Lou Dort has continued his bubble play done pretty pretty damn well thus far. um He's really starting to improve his shot, obviously, he had you know a few games where. Uh, He actually shot pretty well against the Rockets in the playoffs, but um, he literally is actually starting to, you know, consistently shoot the ball better. Um, They weren't able to get the win tonight. The Magic really coming together. It's really interesting. The Magic, you know, there was a lot of talk that the Magic were 3 0, the Cavs are 3 0. And I discussed how the Cavs sort of remind me of the Michael Carter Williams process 76ers who came out of the gate 3 and 0 and then Sacklow actually mentioned that same thing by the way which was cool um but they came out 3 and 0 the suns also came out 3 and 0 that season and no one really believed that the 76ers were real and they didn't they ended up being pretty terrible that season the suns did go on to win 48 games didn't make the playoffs but had a really good season and the magic are the team that I think are more real of those hot start teams and indeed they won today 4 no, and the Cavs lost um but the magic are really playing with chemistry and They've been together for years and you they've had their coach for years now, and even without Jonathan Isaac, there's a real flow to their offense. There's a lot of motion. Um, you know, Vujovic picks and pops, or he can, you know, score inside. Um, Aaron Gordon is really just playing within the flow of everything. Markel Fultz is scoring way more right now. His shot has not necessarily been a lot better, but he's still getting buckets. Um They're a good defensive team and they're just better than I think a lot of us realized because when you have this much time together and you have above average, but maybe not great players, but they can become, you know, the whole is more than the sum of its parts, right? And that's kind of what the, you know, the Pistons championship team, everyone sort of talked about. But in truth, the Magic have some really good players who have maybe not quite, reach their peaks or have played really well at different times. But right now, things seem to be working for them a little bit. You know, if you asked everyone right when the Markel Fultz extension was signed, a lot of people didn't like it. I thought it was pretty good. A lot of people didn't. If you asked a lot of people right now, they might be changing their minds. I don't know. Um, And only time will tell with all this stuff, but it's not like they're playing the hardest schedule, but you can tell when... There's something real going on with the team. And I do think that the Magic just have, you know, they've played together a few years. They know what they're trying to do. They they just have, you know, everyone has a role. Everyone has a job. Everyone fits in. They play hard on defense. It just kind of works. So I think that's, you know, a really interesting thing. And I do think that they, I do think they're going to make the playoffs. Not just the play in. I think the Magic Magic are going to be pretty good this year. I think they're going to continue to be a good team. One thing that was mentioned by Duncan Smith, um, a friend of mine from NBA Twitter. What up, Duncan? He's not listening, but what up to him anyway. He mentioned Scott Brooks potentially being in trouble in Washington because Washington hasn't won yet. And I came on here and, you know, said how interested I was in Washington. Um, And I thought, you know, hey, this could be interesting. This could be a team that blah, blah. You know, I, I did say that. And, man, it hasn't worked at all thus far. That is not to say that it won't. Water finds its level. But, I mean, nothing is working for them thus far. And, you know, I came on here. I watched the first game and I said that I thought it would work even though they lost. Because I thought, well... You know, I can see some positive signs of what they're trying to do. You know, again, I love Denny, Avdia, all that stuff. But, you know, it's just not clicking. And the Russell Westbrook trade was definitely a we're trying to win trade. And the davis Bertan's contract was definitely a we're trying to win contract. And the Denny-Avdia pick was definitely a, you know, a, a guy who can play now. So... Nobody could tell me that the Wizards weren't trying to win this season. They are. So an OMFR start is not good for anyone. So the question of Scott Brooks' job is probably an open one. I don't think... I'm hard-pressed to believe the Wizards would make a move that quickly, but we saw Tommy Shepard turn on John Wall pretty fast. You know, he was... You know, he went on podcasts, and, you know, my intention is... You know, we think that John Wall and Bradley Beal is one of the best backcourts in the East and they've shown it in the playoffs and we know they haven't played together but Beal's gotten so much better and we want to see them together blah blah blah. You know, he said all these things and then he turned around and traded John Wall like immediately. So, you know, people say one thing and whatever. Um you know, they may make a move, but I think it'll be a little more time. But if this goes on for a while, I don't know. The fact that Westbrook is there makes me wonder because, you know, by all accounts, Westbrook does love Scott Brooks. But, I mean, if they're losing and, you know, he thinks he's part of it, who knows? Question of the day. I'm just curious. How different is the Raptors' title run season with DeMar instead of Kawhi? Now, I know that they're probably not going to win. But Kawhi did so much scoring in the mid range, and Nick Nurse is such a good coach, and we didn't really see that happen with DeMar. I'm sure everyone would murder me. I'm just saying, like, I think the Raptors that season would have been better than people realize. I'm not saying they necessarily would have beat the Sixers and, you know, beat the Warriors and won the finals, but I I often think about that team just because. Kawhi was hurt and he wasn't shooting that well from deep, but he was doing a ton of damage from the mid range. Now, he's an other world defender, especially compared to Damar. But, you know, again, Nick Nurse is a really good coach. I just think about that a lot. And, you know, most of the three point shooting from the Raptors that year really came from other guys Norm Powell, Fred VanVleet, Kyle Lowry, you know, Serge Ibaka, Mark Gasol. I kind of feel like. They would have been still pretty good with DeMar. I think Nick Nurse is a better coach than Dwayne Casey, and I think that would have been an interesting thing. And I just think about that sometimes. I'm not saying they still could have won the title, but that's kind of been something I've been thinking about. How far could they have gone? LeBron's gone. You know, maybe they lose the Bucks series. You know, something like that. Could they beat the Bucks? Did they lose the 76 er series? Maybe. I don't know. I just think about that sometimes. Watching a couple of games closely tonight. Watch the Cavs-Knicks game and watch, of course, the Suns-Pelicans game. I, uh, <laughs> I can't help myself with the Suns. I figure, you know, I'm trying to watch two games a day at least, trying to, you know, if I can watch more than that, I do. But, you know, given time constraints and all these things, I'm trying to watch at least two games a day. And a lot of times those would be Suns games. But I figure seeing a team or many teams play against the Suns gives me a nice measuring stick, especially when the Suns are playing this well. But we'll start with the Cavs-Knicks. And I know it's weird that Cavs-Knicks was like the most exciting game. But it kind of was, uh, you know, and it kind of was the game I wanted to watch. And it's disappointing that Obi Toppin's out. But, you know, I just wanted to see, you know, after this Cavs really good start, what they could do. And, of course, they come out and lose. Um, but you can see what they're doing well and what is working for them. I mean, obviously, the big difference is, number one, John line was a terrible coach for the NBA. And, you know, J.B. Bickerstaff is much better. So there you go right there. That's. The number one thing. Um, You know, Beeline just wasn't ready and, you know, here we are. The first thing I would say about the Cavs overall is that, like, especially with Kevin Love out right now, or at least for this game. In terms of how good they can be, how far they can go, I don't think they're as bad as, like, the Michael Carter-Williams Sixers, but... I don't know that they have enough shooting because, I mean, they had an off-night shooting. Everyone has an off-night, but it's not a great shooting team. And they're just going to miss too many shots they should make to win too many games. But they're playing the right way. I mean, they play aggressive defense. They run in transition. They do find the open guys in the corners. Um, I like the way that they play, but I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to hit enough threes to win games with teams that really do have shooters. You know, tonight the Knicks didn't necessarily play a much better game, but they hit their threes. And, you know, that's a big reason that they won because really every time that the Cavs would make a run and get back in it um, or, you know, close the gap in some way, the Knicks would hit a couple more shots and it really wasn't one person And it really wasn't from one spot and it wasn't against one defender. They just were shooting their threes better. And again, you'll have games where you shoot better than the other team. And that's literally the difference. But I think that on the whole, that may end up being a problem for the Cavs overall this season, just because they don't, you know, they're still a young team. And if you're working in Okoro a lot and Andre Drummond's playing a lot of minutes, you know, you don't necessarily have a ton of shooting right there. Um, You've they've got nice players, and maybe the guys will grow into those roles and shoot a lot better and they will win more games. You know, again, it's possible that tonight is just an off night, but you can also see the makings of, okay, we need these guys to grow into plus shooters, and then we're gonna win games. And I think the other thing, the other big thing looking at them is that they're just missing like a really good wing player. And maybe that's Isaac Okoro, and he's out tonight but i just think you can see they've got some good guards and some good bigs you know you know maybe it's kevin porter junior but when they have a really good wing like just by way of example if you added and i'm not i'm not suggesting a trade but i'm just saying if you added a chris middleton or a paul george to this team not even superstars but just really good wings This team would be much better. So, you know, Kevin Love coming back, Kevin Porter Jr. getting healthy, Isaac Okoro, maybe those things, you know, we see a tick up in shooting, maybe it goes better, because they are generating open shots. They play hard. Again, J.B. Bickerstaff is, you know, a much better coach. And also, it's pretty clear that, you know, Andre Drummond, contract year Andre Drummond, as we all love to call him, you know, he only entered this game shooting 43% from the field and 61% from the line. It's not as if he's necessarily tearing it up from a shooting perspective. But, you know, his box scores have been, you know, great. He's, you know, double He's getting tons of blocks, and, you know, he's getting a couple steals, and, you know, he's just playing really well. Um, But it's also pretty clear that, like, he seems to have some connection with, with Sexton and Garland. There was, last season, there was some consternation about those two and the way that they played. And, you know, essentially that Kevin Love and Andre Drummond hated playing with them. And I think a lot has changed there. And I think that, you know, Garland and Sexton have both grown up too. Um, and I think that the chemistry has grown because, you know, there were a lot of nice plays with, you know, a pick and roll or Andre Drummond following, um, you know, the layup with, you know, uh, an offensive rebound. But, you know, he was in the perfect position because he knew what was going on. Um there were some really nice passes from both Sexton and Garland. It just seems like there's chemistry there. And the other thing that was interesting to me about Drummond in this game, I mean, he clearly went to the Kevin Love school of throwing sick outlet passes because, you know, and I'm not saying that Drummond never has thrown outlet passes. I mean, but it looked he looked like, you know, prime Minnesota Kevin Love just whipping down court passes all game tonight. And some of that may have to do with, you know, the way Tibbs plays defense and transition and all that stuff, but it just looked like prime Kevin Love stuff. Um, He throws a no-look pass to Nance off an offensive rebound at one point. Nance bricked the triple, but I don't know, like Andre Drummond is playing with confidence right now. I think that he's a guy that has struggled with confidence at times and his standing in the league and you know, just, you know, how things went with the Pistons and all that stuff. I think that there are times where, I mean, I don't know him, but, you know, you can see when guys are psyched and when things aren't going so well. But the way Andre Drummond is playing right now, you know, he looks psyched. He looks engaged. He looks confident. Sexton, you know, I have dismissed a lot of what people have said about him, but you know, I can see it. You can see it. I mean, he threw some really nice passes in this game. He, you know, he threw a nice pass behind his back to Nance in transition uh, for a corner three attempt. He hit Drummond for a dunk. He throws a one-handed cross pass to the corner to Chetty Osman. Um, I mean, there were some really nice passes. Stuff that the, I mean, the, the lefty one-hander pass looked like a John ja Morant, James Harden. It was just, it was a sick pass. And, you know, he definitely has embraced passing more. Um, didn't shoot so well this game. Started poorly. You know, he hit a triple, scores in transition. But, you know, he just didn't really shoot well in this game mechanics are imperfect but he's got a good pretty high release you know i think he's going to be pretty good as a shooter and scorer he is someone who certainly has the opportunity to have an uptick in his shooting i think and that could really bode well for the Cavs. garland is interesting though you know the, the sex land backcourt as their fans love to call it garland's really interesting to me he also threw some really sick passes but Garland was way more focused on passing first. You can tell that Sexton is obviously there to score, and then if his first option of scoring is not there, you know he's going to look to pass. You know he's a guy who, you know, his first shot coming off of first thought coming off a of pick and roll is drive to the rim. You know maybe second thought is shoot, third thought is pass, and that's fine because Garland is much more a pass first guy. He also throws. I got really nice passes. And I mean, I think it's pretty clear. If you look at the way these guys play, Garland is the one Sexton is the two. I'm pretty sure they align them that way. And it looks that way on the court and the responsibilities play out that way. And it fits and it fits a lot better than I thought it would. Um, And I think that long-term they do work. And I honestly like Garland. I mean, this is, I don't know. He reminds me of NASH a little bit. Seriously. He kind of reminds me of Steve Nash. Like, the follow through is awesome. Um, you know, he's always looking to pass first. But he's out there ready to shoot the moment the ball gets to him. Um, got to work on the defense a little bit. You know, there was one play I, I put in my notes. He got muscled by Peyton. You know, Alfred Payton just took him in the post. And, you know, Alfred Peyton is a bigger point guard. So there is that. But, you know, I like these guys as an actual fit. Um, you know, I really do think that they blend well together. And I think that, you know, I've made fun of the Cavs a lot. I'm sure a lot of people have that, you know, I haven't necessarily had the highest opinion of their rebuild or whatever, but I actually think that they've done a better job than maybe I thought. Now, again, you know, a lot of it comes down to, you know, does Okoro become the guy that they need? Um, does, you know, what happens with Drummond? What happens with Kevin Love? You know, how do they handle those assets? Um, you know, there's a lot of different things that could affect their future. Um, I think that they need a better backup guard. I Like, I don't, like, Dante Exum just hasn't worked out. Ugly shot. Ugly shot. Um, and, you know, I mean, he plays some nice defense and he's speedy. And But they are someone who, this is another team that, like, Tyrese Halliburton would have fit really well. But Ocoro can fit really well too. Uh, and especially because they have a ton of need. They probably need more a wing than they do a, you know, a third guard. But that is something that they need to you know, this is a great place for like a veteran guard to go. Uh they could really use, you know, that third stabilizing guard who can come off the bench and run the second unit sort of thing and fit in aside, you know, either of their lead guards. They need someone like that. Um Chetty Hosman, just hustle. He's all over the place. I see kind of like a poor man Sean Marion. Kind of like the same thing in Nance. Like, they're just like. Like, Nance has some moves. He get a little hook shot inside. He can shoot it. He throws down a few dunks. Both those guys are just like high energy. They don't need the ball all the time. They can, you know, they play a couple positions, they're switchy. Osmond, maybe a little more of a wing. Nance, a little more of a power forward. But, you know, I mean, these are nice players. The Cavs have quietly built a decent system. JaVale McGee hit a, has hit a triple in three straight games. Um, they've got some assets. Like, I think JaVale McGee is someone who, you know, a team that's contending may come calling around the trade deadline. And that's maybe a way for them to, you know, pick up an asset. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Andre Drummond. If he keeps playing right now, I wonder if they would look to um, keep him. I don't know what... The, I, don't, I think he could be extended at any point. So if they wanted to extend him, they could. I would be surprised. Um, maybe if they traded Kevin Love, they would be interested. They don't necessarily play the same position. I just mean in terms of money. But who knows? I you know There are different things that could occur. Um, but I think slowly quietly, the Cavs have actually done a better job of their rebuild than maybe I thought. And so it's going to be interesting to see how it goes from here. You know, where Sexton and Garland go in their development, obviously, and then where Okoro and, like, Kevin Porter Jr. I don't know what really the hopes for KPJ are at this point, but I like Okoro. I see what, you know, I see the framework of a good player, but it's like, you know, can he become a really good shooter? these are the questions but i think the Cavs have a brighter future than we might have thought in terms of the knicks you know again the knicks shot really well um Tibbs is playing veterans but i do feel also like he's showing more patience for developing the younger guys than really he ever has you know even in minnesota with wiggins and towns you know he wasn't You know, there was less development going on there. Maybe he should have been. But it seems now that there's a lot more. It's, you know, it seems to be like he's really embracing it. Because, you know, the younger guys are playing a lot. And, yeah, obviously they don't have a ton of older veteran guys. And so, that you know, you're just going to have to play some of them. And what actually defines a veteran on the Knicks is, you know, maybe questionable. But um, I still think he's embraced it more now than he ever has. And, you know, in this game, again, they were just hitting threes. And it was a lot of different guys. And it was just a really nice offensive performance. Julius Randle entered this game shooting 55% from three. And he was hitting multiple threes tonight. So the thing with Julius Randle is, like, it seemed like we knew what he was. Like, he's a really solid offensive big in terms, You know, he can get buckets, he can pass nicely. Not really a great shooter, not really a great defender. Okay. But if there's a point where Julius Randle suddenly becomes, like, a plus shooter, not that he's going to shoot 50% from deep for a season, but let's say he shot 40%. Like, what happens if, and he, he got a triple-double tonight. So what happens if Julius Randle starts averaging closer to a triple-double and starts scoring Closer to 25, 26 points a game because he's shooting a higher percentage from three. And some of that may be, you know, you know, stats on, an, on the Knicks kind of thing. But in what scenario do we start having to reevaluate that, hey, Julius Randle might actually be a little better. Like, maybe he is taking a leap at this point. Because, I mean, he was hitting shots. And he is in shape. And I, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that he's ever going to be a superstar. You know, I'm not sure that he'll necessarily ever quite reach maybe some of the, I mean, he was a number seven overall pick, I believe. So I don't think it's fair to say that he had the highest expectations ever, but that, you know, that draft was pretty hyped, but you know, if he plays like he played tonight where he's scoring from all over the places, hitting triples again, dishing passes and getting a triple double, this is a leap that. You know, when the Knicks signed that contract, it was like, oh, it was too much. I That contract looks like it could end up actually being pretty good. And that, you know, the Knicks may want to keep Julius Randle long term. Now, how that works with Mitchell Robinson and Obi Toppin is another question. And maybe it just means that Julius Randle becomes a valuable trade piece. You know, who knows how it all works out. But... If he continues to play like he's playing right now, it's very interesting to me because he is balling. This is one of the notes in my, in my notes, Julius Randall is balling is literally in my notes. <laughs> and that is just the truth. When it comes to RJ Barrett, um, I don't, I, you know, I just don't see what other people do right now. Um. He looks more like a glue guy to me. Now, I didn't have big hopes for Brandon Ingram after a couple years. You know, and I've told the whole thing about, you know, what happened with the Laker film room guy about that. Um, You know, but I didn't have high hopes for Brandon Ingram, and I was just completely wrong, right? Ingram's a baller. He's a star. So we know what R.J. Barrett can do. He can throw down vicious dunks. He can shoot well. You know, he's inconsistent. But we know what he can do. But... I'm just, you know, some people are still very high on him, and I just don't see it right now. You know, maybe someone, maybe they will be able to unlock it. Maybe he'll be able to get to that next level. Um, you know, a lot of different things are possible, but I just haven't seen it. I just haven't. Reggie Bullock is shooting really well. No shocker there, Um, you know. Another veteran who's played for a long time. He's a guy who, you know, I mentioned Javale McGee could be someone who, you know, the Cavs look to move at the deadline just to a vet. You know, a, a, again, a, a contending team may want a piece. I could see Bullock, you know, being in that same situation with the Knicks. Uh, You know, a contending team says, "Hey, you know, we want to take a look at that guy." You know, that kind of thing may happen. Nerlens Noel had a couple of really nice place a couple of really nice plays he could be a nice piece so that's an interesting asset for them another interesting development um, I really do think that there is the makings of a good player with Kevin Knox and again it may be it may come down to you know what does Tibbs do in terms of player development. Long-term, does he see something in him? Are the Knicks just trying to develop guys to trade them? You know, we still don't really know the long-term strategy yet. But, man, you know, he shot the ball really nice in this game. He had a couple of really – I mean, his shot just looks really good. And so for someone who some people were like, boy, he looks lost, and, you know, maybe he doesn't belong, Um, he's starting to – at least look like a really good shooter. And, you know, in a league that values shooting above all else, if you can shoot the ball, you have a job. So it's good for him. And, you know, that's good for the Knicks. Again, in this game, they were able to basically just bomb the Cavs out and we'll see how it goes from here. But I do think that the Cavs have something going on. And I think that the Knicks have going on, something going on. And I think that for the first time, in a while, well, in the first time since LeBron was there for the Cavs and the first time for a very long time with the Knicks, they're both headed in the right direction. And, you know, basketball's better when the Knicks are good. Um, it'd be cool if the Cavs were good too post-LeBron as well. So hopefully those things continue. As far as the Suns-Pelicans game, um, you know, the Pelicans, really nothing stood out, you know, from a good – like, nothing went really well. Lonzo hit a nice triple off the bounce to start the game, and then he bricked everything else. You know, Zion is able to get to the rack with authority. Um, you know, he's able to, you know, pretty much draw fouls at will. He shoots, you know, with great efficiency when he gets to the rim, but he simply doesn't, you know, there's there's, in a game like this, there's really no way to, you know, carry a team that's just getting bombed out. The Suns just hit every shot. You know, I like the Knicks. And, you know, the thing about the Suns, I said it before, and, and it's holding true, is they're generating a ton of open shots. And so in a game like this where, you know, they're hitting all of those open shots, it's, you know, it's tough. There were a few interesting matchup things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when the team went ice cold, the Pelicans, they, they really have no offense outside of Ingram and Zion, especially when those two are cold. Um, You know, Bledsoe's not creating much. Hart and Redick aren't really, you know, creating a lot on their own. Um, So, you know, it may be up to Nikhil Alexander-Walker in those situations. But, you know, today there was just nothing. Um, Steven Adams did present a problem for Dario Saric. So, in the matchup game when the Suns tried to go to their backup center, um, you know, that didn't work as well as they might have hoped. But... You know, Zion just, you know, really needs to go to the rim more. I mean, just truthfully, he he missed a lot of free throws. But, man, I mean, he was, you know, he just draws a foul or gets to the rim basically every time. So you need to just continue to do that. But in this game, I mean, the Suns, well, first thing, let me say about the Suns, I love the the, Diss City edition, Edition jersey. I love the Valley jersey. I love the Valley court. It's awesome. One of the best ones in the league right now. Super cool. Uh, I'm really happy with that design. I think everyone is really. The most interesting thing about this is that Book, you know, Book only had like eight points in this game. You know, he's just one piece of this offense. And, you know, again, I've said it before on this show, the Suns have so much shooting from Paul, Book, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, Javon Carter, Campaign, Langston Galloway. There's so much shooting on this team that, you know, they're going to have nights like this where they just literally bomb the other team out. And it's going to happen way more than people realize because there's a chemistry growing with this team. Chris Paul knows how to set up open players. Jay Crowder is just such a veteran. And truthfully, everyone's playing really unselfishly, they're making the extra pass. And they're just hitting tons of open looks, and they're getting tons of open looks from the corners, from the wings, above the arc. It's kind of a lot like the Bucks played last year, where like you're in your box, and everyone's rotating between those areas and focusing on, you know, getting to a specific three point zone. And then, of course, you've got and inside. I mean, everything's really working for the Suns right now, and it's interesting to see Book who. You know, we all expected to have an incredible season and he's, you know, he's playing nice, but book doesn't have to do everything anymore. You know, now there's some nights where he doesn't have to do anything because everything's working and, you know, he can just, you know, cook in the way he wants to. And, you know, some games it won't even be necessary, but it also means he gets to just be a closer and focus on, you know, not heavy lifting, trying to carry the offense in the first quarter, but he can focus on, Hey, I need to win this game for us in the fourth And doing everything he can to do that, and it's really truly working. I mean, Crowder loves his wing threes; he's hitting them at a really nice clip right now. I picked Mikael Bridges for Most Improved Player, and he's literally showing why he's, you know, a great pick for that. I mean, he's hitting shots from the mid range. He's, you know, connecting from deep. He's throwing down dunks. He's taking guys off the dribble. He's cutting. He's doing everything. And on top of that, he's a great defender. He's always been a great defender, obviously, but now he's, you know, showing, you know, in the past he had just a shot. Now he's pump faking, stepping into the mid range or pump faking and driving to the rack or he's hitting the sidestep or step back three. I mean, he's just got more in the bag now. And so, you know, I, my, again, my pick was Mikael Bridges and I think he's really showing why. And I think he's, I'm sure there's a lot of people in contention, but I think that over the season, Mikhail is going to win out because he's going to be a really effective player on a really good team. Another interesting thing with this is, you know, Paul is really, he's really deferring, you know, he's not trying to shoot at all. And we know that he doesn't really necessarily want to be a, a, a shoot first player. But, you know, for a guy who still can get his looks really, you know, whenever he wants to, especially from the elbow, he is really just running the offense He's getting tons of assists. He's still getting his buckets later in games. He's hit some clutch shots. But he is really, truly, both he and Booker just letting the offense flow. And everyone is going to the hot hand or whoever's open, making the extra pass. You know, the Suns led the league last season in assists and free throw percentage. And they hit, like, all their free throws tonight. And they were passing the ball all over the place. Those things are going to continue. And, you know, the chemistry is real. The style is real. The motion is real. This is a much better team than it's been. Um, Ayton muscled out Steven Adams a few times, which is a really nice thing, uh, t- just because Steven Adams is so strong. Grabbed some rebounds. Um, he hit, uh, he had a nice little hook shot. He had a fadeaway. You know, I just need Aiton to have a couple more moves in the post get a couple more free throws to the game, get to the rim a few more times. He's so close. You know, I think the thing that, you know, people are like, oh, I need Aiden to do this and do this. And, you know, the consternation from some people at times, you know, the man is one, two moves a game away from, you know, just being a star. He's just got to do a couple more things. And I think they're getting him there. And I think that Chris Paul being there is, you know, again, really the missing piece. Another really thing, I really like, like, Etwan Moore. I thought that that was going to be a nice signing, and not that it hasn't been, but, man, Langston Galloway, like, he is just bagging shots. He's bagging four-point plays. His release is so lightning fast, and I think he's going to get minutes for this team. You know, we know what Javon Carter does defensively, and he's shooting. Cam Payne, I mean, Cam, at one point in this game, Cameron Payne boxes out Zion, gets a rebound, then flies down the court to the other end and bags a triple. Off the bounce. (laughs) Just awesome. Just awesome stuff. But Langston Galloway, he's going to be someone who fits around all of this so well because he could play with any unit, and he is an instant problem because he is just open in that corner and the shot is up. He shoots so fast. He just shoots so fast and the shot is clean. And he is, he might be someone who under the radar is really effective. And after the game tonight, both Galloway and Javon Carter, after like a 40 point win, were still getting up shots. Dwayne Rankin, son's uh, beat writer. Posted a video of them. And Frank Kaminsky was still working on conditioning. Like, this Suns team is special. There's more here than people realize. And this is going to be a team that's really effective this year. The one thing we do worry about that I still worry about a little bit, Dario Saric couldn't really handle Zion, couldn't really handle Steven Adams. In the backup big role, we've got to figure that out. And Amanda being Kaminsky... Now that he's back, um, but when Ayton is off the floor and there's a larger center, we've got to figure out ways to protect the rim because we just struggle to do that. And Saric, for all of the good he brings stretching the floor and he hit a few nice shots tonight, he's going to struggle defending those bigger players. And if it you know if it's on him to bulk up and you know I don't think he necessarily even came into the league playing to be a center. You know maybe that's what they want to do and that's fine. But for now, really just the biggest thing has got to be the backup five minutes. The Suns have all the shooting in the world. They've got all the ball handling in the world. They've got wings. Everything about the Suns right now is the backup five. And, you know, another thing I was thinking about that I watched the game with a friend and I mentioned to Keith. Shout out, Keith. We're going to get you on, bud. One thing I mentioned to him is I could see some interesting scenarios where the Suns might try to play Crowder as like a small ball five for a couple of minutes here and there, when other teams are going hyper small. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of mix with the lineups, but when they're needing a big backup five, if the Suns make any moves in season, it should be trying to acquire a seven footer, a guy like Nerlens Noel that I mentioned from the Knicks. That's a, that's the kind of player that you're looking to acquire if you're the Suns. Just someone who can play backup center minutes and effectively defend the rim for 5 minutes at a time when Deandre Ayton is sitting or for a longer stretch when he's in foul trouble cuz that does happen. So that's going to be one thing to look for with the Suns is, you know, when Ayton's hurting, what do they do? And you know, I think they're going to have the ability to play small with anybody. I think they have the ability to shoot with anybody but the simple fact of the matter is the question is how do you match up with the Lakers I don't care if I'm thinking too big picture I don't care if people think I'm being too aggressive you don't play this game to lose it you play it to win and the simple fact of the matter is that the Suns are starting well and if they continue to play like this it's gonna be on the mind of these people these guys on this team that they can make a real run in the playoffs. And so you start to ask yourself the question how do we match up with the Lakers? And the one problem I can see is the Lakers are huge and the Suns aren't. We can maybe outshoot them and maybe some nights that'll matter. You just hit more shots. But when LeBron and AD are going to the rack and Gasol is having a good night and Harrell's getting offensive rebounds and Ayton has foul trouble, what do you do? The answer may be, to most people, you lose. I understand that. But there's got to be something that you can do to hold the fort. And that's what we're looking for at this point. Is it Saric? Is it Kaminsky? Is it Jones? Whatever the case may be. Would love it if Aiton could be in less foul trouble so that the problem would occur less often. we Would also love to see it be Jalen Smith. But... Nothing I have seen so far makes me think that Jalen Smith can defend the five. You know they call him Sticks for a reason. He's gotten bigger, but I, I you know, I don't see. I don't. I, I don't see a guy who can defend big centers there. Not sure. He might be in the right position. I mean, Cam Johnson has defended guys that are bigger than him very well. He has length. He's in the right position. I, I don't know. I don't know if Jalen Smith has that in him and he certainly doesn't have it in him right now and we need it this season so with Kaminsky back he may just need to use his size to help us out at times I could see it being effective but that is the one thing I'm really looking for with the Suns how do we handle that peace and that is the Blunt Doctor show Heavy on the social justice in the beginning, a little shorter than usual, but still overly packed with excellent suns information, if you ask me. We'll return tomorrow, as we do. Please like, please rate, please subscribe, please tell me what you think. Peace.